Okay, so we're going to change gears here, and we're going to talk about fasting, as I promised. Um, this is what I'm going to try to do. All right? One, uh, this is the outline. I'm going to uh, focus our attention on wrong fasting and try to talk about right fasting. And I'm going to try to talk about several reasons for fasting, frequently asked questions about fasting, and how to conduct a fast. We're going to need God's grace today, this morning, right? Okay, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon our time while we uh, settle in on his word. God, we are so thankful Lord, what you are doing in the earth. And as, as one person has expressed, Lord, they have a heart to go and share the gospel, to minister to the poor and needy, wherever they are to be found. And Lord, we know that this is because of your heart. We know that this is because you giving people hearts to do these things in the earth because you are a good, good Father. You are a glorious God. You are a God who cares for the poor and needy, both spiritually and physically. And so we pray that you would make us to be more and more this kind of people by the way we do church. And we are so thankful to you, Lord God, that you are creating us in the image of Christ. And you are causing us to do those good works which you have foreordained, that your church, your people should walk in. And that through this, Lord, we become more and more joyful. We become more and more satisfied and at peace with our lives and the way we are spending them. And so we pray today that the hearing of your word might motivate us to do all the more. It might encourage us to be like you. And we ask it for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to have to get right into it this morning, uh, guys. Um, what I want to do is I want to review what I covered last time I spoke. And I promised some of you that I would complete this uh, study on fasting. But turn to Matthew chapter 6. That's our context. That's the passage which we've been studying as we are doing um, expository preaching through the Word of God. If you're joining us for the first time, we are working our way through the Sermon on the Mount and uh, Jesus taking his disciples to, to school, if you will. And we come to that point in the Sermon on the Mount where he's talking to his disciples about how they're to practice their righteousness as a church, as the people of God. All right, and the particular topic that we're focusing on this morning, as I said, was fasting. So let's read it, Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may be seen or appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father 
who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So last time I dealt with defining fasting, um, I spent a whole subject or, or, or beginning to define fasting. Let me, let me make that clarification because we're going to continue to define it. It's a huge topic in Scripture. But what, what we saw last week, brothers and sisters, was fasting historically was something that God gave the nation of Israel as a way for them to humble themselves in order to get his attention. It was God's way of leading the nation back to himself when they strayed from his favor or when they needed his direction. Okay? Fasting included abstinence from food, drink, sleep, sex, or any pleasurable thing in order to give one's undivided attention to God. You remember how we talked about we drop everything. Okay, when we do this thing called fasting, right? I mean, we want to give God our undivided attention. It is serious, right? And fasting, as you know, is not a, a fun uh, thing to do. And, and, and that's because by design, it has all together to do with being broken, contrite, and humble before the Lord. All right? So fasting, by way of definition is a God-ordained means for God's people to either mend their relationship to God or seek his favor for direction and clarity. That's basically what fasting is, historically speaking. That's why God gave it to the nation of Israel. That's what we talked about. There's been a whole sermon on that. If you want to uh, listen to that, get that sermon. And um, it'll catch you up to speed as to where I'm going this morning. But many of the Israelites in Jesus' day were abusing fasting, all right? Um, including the Pharisees, and that's where we pick up in Matthew chapter 6. So we want to connect it with the Old Covenant, right? Because we want to look at the meaning of fasting in its historical context first, and then we want to trace it to Jesus' day and what the Pharisees were doing with this topic of fasting so we can get an idea of what was happening in Jesus' period of time, right? So... Um, in our text, the Pharisees were abusing fasting, and that brings us to wrong fasting, or what they were doing in the context in Jesus' day. In our text, Jesus warns us not to fast like the hypocrites. Let's pick it up in verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they might appear to men to be fasting, assuredly I say to you, they have their reward. So Jesus is warning his disciples in his day, don't be like the hypocrites, don't be like the Pharisees and those who are abusing fasting. All right? Um, how are the Pharisees abusing fasting? How do hypocrites abuse fasting? Well, Jesus tells us, they do it to be seen by who? Men. And if you've been following me as I've been opening up or expounding the Sermon on the Mount, that's in contrast to doing things before who? God. So hypocrites, whether they're Pharisees or wherever you find them, they do things, they do all their religion, including fasting, to be seen by who? Men. They have no reference to who? Now here's the, the catch-22 about it. Here's the, here's the deceptive element to it. But they think they're doing it before who? Right? See how it works? So what I want to do is I want to kind of paint um, a picture here from Scripture because it's important. 
And brothers and sisters, bear with me. We're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures because I want you, most of you probably have never interacted with these scriptures that we're going to be turning to in your life. And, and I, I, I believe that's a shame. If we can go through this life without really, this is the word of God, brothers and sisters. And if we don't pay attention to it, if we never come to that place to where we're looking at it for ourselves, we're, we're, we're missing a valuable, invaluable resource, right? We're, we're taking something for granted. We're neglecting something. Ron read this morning, God respects those who humble themselves in fear and tremble at his what? Word, word. right? And so we want to be characterized as a people who not only fear and tremble at God's word in terms of being doers of it, like we saw on the screen here, but we also want to honor God by handling it correctly as well. And in order to do that, you got to be in it constantly. we got to be a people that can't get enough of this, right? So I want you to turn to Isaiah 58, for starters. And Isaiah 58 is an illustration on how the nation of Israel was doing or abusing fasting or using it in a wrong fashion. So keep in mind, historically speaking, God had ordained it. God had sanctioned it as a means for his people to mend their ways before him and to get direction and clarification about their lives and their relationship with God. So in Isaiah 58, and you Bible scholars, you know that um, Isaiah was a prophet that prophesied in the days of Hezekiah and um, right before Judah and Jerusalem went into captivity. He was to warn the nation. He was to call the people back to repentance. He was to uh, proclaim um, the word of God to the king. And the king was supposed to let the nation know what they needed to do. Um, Isaiah 58, it's, it reads this way. Cry aloud. Spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgressions. This is God speaking to the nation of Israel through the mouth of Isaiah the prophet. Tell my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily. This is what they were doing. Watch the hypocrisy here. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. See, that's a good thing, right? That's what the nation should be doing. Seeking God, delighting in them daily, and not forsaking the ordinances of their God, right? faithful in their covenant to God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. And then they say this, verse 3, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls, and you take no notice? So the people were beginning to wonder, hmm, we're fasting, and we're doing all these duties and rituals, but it doesn't seem like God is hearing or responding or reacting, all right? So God answers them through the prophet Isaiah. Note in verse uh, 4, uh, yeah, 4, Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I missed a section there. I don't want to leave this out. Why have we fasted, verse 3, they say, and you have not seen, why have we afflicted our souls you have taken no notice. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. Wow. That is the antithesis of fasting, by the way. Pleasure. And exploit all your laborers 
Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? You see what God is doing here? God is saying, do you think that that's why I ordained this? So you can do that with it? And I want to highlight something here, and this is a sidebar. Do you see the character of your God? Whether you're born again or not, do you see the character of your God? If you're unsaved and you're here, this is still your God. This is the God who made you. This is what he's like. He cares for the poor and needy, and he expects us to do the same. He doesn't want fasting and rituals and, and wailing and, you know, this and that and the other thing if you're not doing it according to his heart and who he is and his character. You guys with me? You understand? See, the nation of Israel lost sight of the character of their God. And they started using the means and things and the, and the stuff of God without any reference to who. And so they were doing it strictly for who? themselves. Similar to what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, you know these hypocrites, they do all their works to be seen by one another so that they can feel good and, you know, feel very religious around each other. And they have no respect to who? God and what he really thinks about what he's instituted and what he's given us. See the point? And we have to be careful, brothers and sisters, that we don't slip into that kind of hypocrisy. That's what Jesus is warning his disciples about in Matthew chapter 5 and the whole Sermon on the Mount. Beware of this. Beware of this. Beware. Beware. Don't do this. His disciples. All right? Let's keep reading. He says, uh, verse 7, let's go to verse 8. Then your light, oh, I'm sorry. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Verse 7. And that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out. When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide your face from your own flesh. Verse 8. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. I want to highlight something else about the character of God. Not only does the character of God have a heart for the poor and needy and caring for the nation on the whole, God says to the nation that was sinning here and needed to repent, he's given them hope, right? In their what? Repentance. That's also the character of God. You understand? And to read the word of God without highlighting that, you guys, we miss a big, big, big part of why God has given us the word of God. Okay? Behold the character of God. He loves the poor and needy. He cares for people. You understand? And he expects us to do the same. But also God always offers what? Repentance. Turn. Cry aloud. Spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and tell my people their sins. So I can do what? Beat them down? So I can tell them I don't love them anymore? No, so that I can tell them and show them my ways and what I'm really like and how they're getting away from my heart. See the point? Read your Old Testament that way. All right? He goes on, verse 9, Then you shall call, call and the Lord will answer. Wow. 
you shall cry, and he will say, here I am. Wow, that's God. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul. Wow in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Can't help but comment, guys. This is the God of the Old Testament. Is that a message of doom and gloom? No. Is that a depressing, discouraging message? That is hope. If you repent and you turn, I will be your God. I will show you. I, will, I would love to come and be the God of your nation. But you got to get on my page, not yours. You understand? That is not discouraging. That's not depressing. That's not gloom and doom. That's a message of hope. It gets me excited to know that, God, you are that way? Really? Because I've been listening to some lies about your character for a long time, Lord. And that's probably why I feel so depressed and hopeless and confused because I really don't know your character as it's taught from your word. You understand? See how, see how it's so important why we know the character of God? Because my, that's where my faith rests, in his promises to me. You understand? And you. That's where your faith needs to rest and where you need to find your confidence, hope, and what the Bible calls faith. And that alone. He says, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of the many generations. Of many generations. That's because Israel and Judah were devastated. God started with the destruction of Israel through the Assyrians. And then God says, Isaiah, go warn Judah, the southern kingdom, right? Because it's coming. But I'm going to give them opportunity to repent. All right? He says, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in, if, condition, you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. That is the word of God. That's what Isaiah declared in his day to the people of God. And sadly, they rejected the message of the gospel. Flat out. And wanted their own ways. They wanted their own desires. They wanted their own religion. And they wanted their own righteousness. And we see that in Jesus' day with the Pharisees. They represented, represented this false system of religion. So getting back to the issues of fasting and how it applied in Jesus' day, uh, Jesus is warning his disciples not to be this way, okay? Not to take the things of God, whether it be fasting, whether it be the word of God, whether it be the way we do church, you name it, and begin to do your own pleasure with it, to begin to do what you want with it. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Okay. So you guys should be able to see that from, from Isaiah but also see that that's why Jesus was so irritated with the Pharisees in his day. It's no different, okay? And you're going to see this is a major theme throughout Scripture. So most of your reading in the Old Covenant, that's what you're going to find. God warning the nations. That's all, what all the prophets were ordained and raised up to do. 
turn back, stop doing that, put that down. Don't you know, covenant here, God, repent, believe, stop, change your ways, all that, okay? Ordained by God who loved Israel, his nation, his chosen people, okay? So, you and I, back in Matthew chapter 6, if you'll turn back there, please, um, want to avoid using fasting to be seen by men, to, to do it according to our own pleasure, and to have our own designs for it and miss the whole purpose of God for, for giving it to us. All right? You guys with me so far? Okay, now. So Jesus is warning his disciples not to be like that, and so we'll leave off that. And then let's move on. So in our text, he goes on from, from fasting like Pharisees to show them how they should fast, right? Okay? And so he does this by simply saying this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 17. He says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who's in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly, okay? So Jesus here is telling his disciples, you know what, guys? You're under the new covenant, so you don't have to fast. And they all go, yay, because we hate fasting, Lord. <laughs> right? I would have been in that group. No, he doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't abolish fasting because we're under the new covenant, all right? And you'll see the holy apostles, like the Apostle Paul, he's a champion of fasting, by the way. He said, often I fasted, and I buffeted my body and beat it to bring it into subjection so I can serve my God and his kingdom and his glory. The Apostle Paul was the man, right? We want to aspire to be like him as much as he was like the Lord Jesus. <laughs> Had to throw that in there, right? Okay, so, so right fasting. The question is, how do we do it? Now, let me say this, because we're going to leave the text now, and I'm going to show you why. Jesus is assuming his disciples knew how to fast. That's why he doesn't tell them how to fast here, because they're Jews who were living in Jewish culture, right? We are Gentiles who know very little about fasting. Wouldn't you agree? See, in our culture, we fast... For what purposes? Lose weight, right? That's about it. You guys know what I'm talking about? But we, 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 we what, see what Jesus is doing. Jesus doesn't explain the how-tos with his disciples because he already assumed they knew how to do it from their upbringing. He's just saying, do it right now. Don't be doing it like hypocrites. Get back to the basis. Get back what, 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 you, what you were taught when you, when you were bar mitzvahs, if you will. You know? And you, you became an adult. And you got to read the scriptures, and you knew how to fast, and you knew it was all about doing it to the glory of God. That's what Jesus is doing here. But see, I can't do that with you guys because we're Westerners, right? We're not Jews. So I have to take the time to tell you about how, what, or what the Bible has to say about how we should fast as Christians. Does that make sense? Okay. So um, the first thing I want to, to highlight here is the key to fasting. 
And of course, we get this from our study of, of the historical reason as to why God gave it to the nation of Israel. The key to fasting is very simple. Fasting should always be done in a spirit of contrition in connection with your relationship to the Lord. Period. Okay? Let me, let me repeat that. Fasting should always be done in a spirit of contrition in connection with your relationship to the Lord. In other words, fasting is the epitome of a humble heart before the Lord. All right? That's what it, that, that's, that's what it represents or signifies to God. Okay? Fasting is all about relating to God in true humility. This is what the Pharisees and hypocrites miss. They're not interested in doing things for God's reasons, but their own reasons. That's what we saw in Isaiah when God says, You're, that, that, you call that a fast? You're doing your own pleasure. Wow, God's saying that. And they're saying, we afflicted ourselves. We took the day off. We sat in sackcloth and ashes and rolled and all this stuff. And God says, you're doing your own pleasure. You know what he means by that? I didn't ask you to do all that. You, you, you got a different agenda in what, how you're using my means. Now, are you going to get on the same page with me? You see the point? And here's where the rub comes in, brothers and sisters. You know what I'm talking about? And it's not just for the nation of Israel. It's for us too. All right? Let me ask you, how many of you have fasted recently? You don't have to show hands. I'm just, I'm just asking. I'm just throwing that out there, okay? There's a reason why this is hard to do, right? So, so fasting is basically a way that we, as God's people, get on the same page with God. That's why he's ordained it. Okay? And that's when we're supposed to be doing it. And that brings me to biblical reasons why we should fast. Biblical reasons for fasting. And here's where I'm just going to go through a plethora of scriptures and to convince you of this. And I want you to notice that without exception, they all are connected to a relationship with the true and living God. Fasting is never to be done apart from that, okay? In other words, fasting should never be just a ritual or a duty that we do to perform, that we can check off the box. I did my fasting for this month with no connection to God. Are you guys tracking with me? You understand? See, Israel was doing that. The Pharisees were doing that. They would wash their hands, you know, before they eat fast, you know, three times a week, if you will, make sure they're paying their tithes, make sure that they got it all good, living before men, and make sure everything's good, nip and tuck. And God's like, what are they doing? No reference to God. See? Not on the same page with their creator. Lost sight, different agenda, following the dictates of their own hearts and the way they did religion, church, and, and Bible reading, and you name it. To be seen by men with no reflection to the glory of God and God's ways and his kingdom. We can do church that way, brothers and sisters. What type of church do you want? Do you want a church that's all man-centered? Or do you want a church that lives to the glory of God and represents God? Are we going to get on the same page with God and model our church after the scriptures? Or are we going to do church like some Americans do and just want to be what? Entertained. Come, get my church on. You know. You guys know what I'm talking about? I prefer a little bit of both. I'm hoping God allows that. You guys know what I'm, but I'm subject to the word of God. Right? That's good. 
But I do want a little bit of this. Right? Now, if God allows it, we, we're, we're okay. You understand? So, let's look at the scriptures and let's allow them to speak to us to develop our conviction concerning fasting. So, the first one. The first reason for fasting that God gave to the nation of Israel is to get God to relent. Relent means God pronounces that he's going to do something, right? Maybe horrific if you don't change your ways. And so God ordained fasting for the people to listen to that, take him seriously at his word, fear and tremble at it, and then plead with him and turn from their ways so that he would what? Relent. Okay? So I'm going to turn you to several passages. First is Jeremiah 18, 6, 12. And let me just say this. I'm just turning to this passage because it's like eeny, meeny, miny, moe, and this passage shows up, okay? Most of your Old Testament, especially the prophets, are dealing with this. God sending prophets to get the nation of Israel to do the things that he wanted them to do so that they can plead with him, based upon the gospel, by the way, so that he would relent, relent of the destruction that he pronounced on them. And by the way, there's destruction coming for all those who are outside of Christ, right? There's coming a day when we're all going to have to face God's judgment. And today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. This is another opportunity for you to repent and believe the gospel. I'm just using the topic of fasting to try to convince you of that. We, we can, you can choose a topic. We can talk about the creation. We can talk about mothering. We can talk about, you name it. God has designed it all. And all of that leads back to this one very reality that he is the one true God. And he is in control over the born-again people's lives and those who are not as well. He is God. All right? In Jeremiah chapter... 18, and I'm just going to pick it up in verse 6 through 12, um, it says this, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? So God told Jeremiah to go to uh, the potter's house, a guy working with clay, and he says, I'm going to give you your next message that you need to speak to my people, and I want you to use this illustration, potter and clay. You guys tracking with me? Says the Lord, look, as the clay is the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instance I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and destroy it. Here's the condition. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And that's not just the nation of Israel. That would be a nation like the nation of the Assyrians and the Ninevites, right? Gentiles. Okay? And we'll turn to that a little later. Again, character of God. Verse 9, or verse 10, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. Now, therefore, speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Remember I told you all the prophets were designed to speak to the kings, and then the kings were to relate a message to the nation so that the people would repent and turn, because God is merciful, kind, and gracious, and he's not willing that any should perish. 
Return now everyone from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. And they said, this is what the people said to this. Wow. And they said, that is hopeless. So we will walk according to our own plans and we will everyone obey the dictates of his evil heart. Now you see why God rejected the nation of Israel. Okay. So relenting, relenting is why we want to do that. And there's other passages that you can refer to, um, I can refer you to, but for the sake of time. Um, think of David when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and God said that he was going to kill the, the, the son that was born to them. And David fasted. You remember that? And God did not what? Relent. Okay? But David knew, being a good Jew, hey, who knows what the Lord's going to do? He told me if I fast and call upon his name, and it doesn't obligate God to change and relent, you know, but he's following what good Jewish people did back in the day, right, in order to try to get God relent. You see it? Okay. So relenting is one thing. And then, by the way, just, uh, I want to end that section on a positive note. Hezekiah was going to die. God sent Hezekiah to, or, or Isaiah to Hezekiah. Hezekiah did his thing, humbled himself, fasted, and went before the Lord, and God relented and added 15 years to his life, right? You guys remember that? See? He was another good Jewish boy back in the day. Number two, reasons for fasting, direction concerning the will of God and major life decisions. Ezra 8, uh, 23, please. Ezra 8, 23. And these are just reasons why uh, we should fast, brothers and sisters. Direction, direction from God concerning major life's decisions, and so on and so forth. So I'm just going to read it uh, for the sake of time. The reference is uh, Ezra 8, 23. I'm going to pick it up in verse 21. Then I proclaimed a fast. This is Ezra, and he's leading the captives back to Jerusalem, I believe. Uh, there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request from the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road because we had spoken to the king saying, the hand of our God is upon us all, uh, the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So Ezra was uh, leading a captive back, and he didn't want to go to the king because he just said the boast, our God is great, and this and that, and the other thing. And, and for him to go to the king now and ask for help would be like what? All right, not too God-glorifying, right? I just boasted about the Lord that he's our help, our strength, and this and that, and the other thing. Then I'm going to go back and ask the king for a, a couple of horses and some horsemen and some spears. You guys get the point? So instead, what did he do? He said, hey, guys, let's what? Fast. Let's fast, and let's ask God for direction and protection and so on and so forth, right? And they got what they wanted. I'd say read that sometime, and you see how God, in his character, glorified himself. Because that's who he is. That's what he does. Intercession, intercession. And intercession, guys, you can turn to Daniel chapter 9. Um, intercession, intercession basically is when we're... Uh, we're doing what's right in the sight of God. You know, like EGBC has it all together. We're doing what's right in the sight of God and all the other churches got it wrong. Let's just say that, right? 
Now, let's just say, you know, we, we, we're, 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 we're not perfect, but we're doing what God expects us to be doing. But, you know, I'm going to intercede on behalf of who? All the other churches, instead of going around saying, look, we got it all right. You guys got it all wrong. Come in. I'll tell you what, what you're doing wrong. I'll tell you how to fix it. No, what we should be doing is what? Lord, show us, show them your mercy as, just like you showed us. Give them a contrite spirit and a humble heart that they might walk in your ways. And we can do this all to what? Together, right? That's what Daniel did for his people, okay? Now, you guys know that Daniel from his youth all the way to 80 years of age, I believe, was a righteous man. Do you know of any sins that Daniel did that the Bible mentions? Name one. No, Daniel from his youth all the way to the end of his days, served his God faithfully like a good statesman. Dignity and loyal to his God. And he went into exile. Right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abed Abednego, or Abednego, Sharon. Before the king of Babylon. And Daniel spent most of his life there. And in Daniel 9, he reads the book of Jeremiah, which we just read, how God said, if a nation turns from its ways, I will relent of the disaster that I pronounced upon it. Here's another good Jewish boy, and I mean that sincerely. Verse 9, in the first year of Darius, you know, I can't read it all, guys, so I'm just going to pick it up in, in three. Then I set my face toward the Lord... Let's do two, because i got to show you where he found the book of Jeremiah, or was meditating upon the book of Jeremiah. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Now, what is that referring to? God kicked Israel out the nation and Judah. They went into captivity for how long? 70 years. And Jeremiah prophesied that. And Daniel's going, Lord, this is what's happening to us. You told us way beforehand. You prophesied this through Jeremiah. That's why we're here. And Daniel knew this, right? I'm just being um, exaggerating. But let's pick it up. So, so he's, he's, seeing, he's saying this. Now watch, watch his response. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with what? Fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Well, why you, Daniel? I mean, you've been faithful. You've been doing what you've been needing to do. What, what do you need to fast for? What, what, what's going on? Intercession, right? Watch. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquities. We've done wickedly and rebelled. See how Daniel includes himself with his people, his nation, and doesn't forsake them? You understand? See how Daniel's interceding for his people with fasting and supplications, and begging because he knows the character of God. You understand? Do we know the character of God to be this? Right? You can't escape this stuff. It's all throughout the Bible. 
And so let's drop down to, you, you, you guys should just read this sometime on your own. It's excellent. It's, uh, but drop down to verse uh, 11. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. That's why God did what he did to them. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, having been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster for under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. You guys, this is, this is amazing stuff here. You're looking at the history of the nation of Israel through the eyes of Daniel in this prayer. As it is written, verse 13, in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer. Listen to this. All this disaster has come upon us, Lord. This is Daniel talking to God. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord, our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Wow. Listen to that man. Lord, you sent, you had prophet Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, uh, Malachi. You raised up all these, and our, we still didn't get it. And you brought all this disaster upon us because of this. And he's pleading for his people, interceding with fasting and prayer. Okay? You can read about that sometime on your own. Um, last one. This is one I want to really highlight here. Reasons for fasting. Repentance unto salvation. Okay? Repentance unto salvation. If you are an unbeliever here, okay, and you're listening to the word of God, that's the touchstone. If I'm accurately and faithfully teaching God's word, you are being confronted with God's character right now, as it is in truth. Not the lies, wherever they're being taught out there. I'm not saying everybody's lying and I got it all right. But not the lies about God's word, but the truth about his character. And based upon the authority of his character and the truth of his word, I'm calling you to repent and turn from your ways and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, well, well, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, well what does that mean? Well, give me some counsel. What, what does that mean? What, does God have to do something? Do I? Well, what's going on here? Right? I mean, don't just tell me that and then I just go from this sermon and I just feel like nothing happened. How many of you have been there before? I was there for a long time. I was like, pastors would just keep saying, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, believe on the Lord. I was like, okay, okay, I get that, but what does that look like? What does that mean? You understand? What it means is you begin to hang your life on the word of God and the promises of God, and you leave the saving to him. You know what I'm talking about? See, faith cometh by what? Hearing, and hearing what? That's what's happening to you right now. You are hearing the word of God expounded, hopefully accurately, to where you're seeing his character. Right? And as you begin to hear, and as you begin to contemplate your life, and as you look at your sin in your life, and, as you, as, and you're like, man, the more I come out to EDBC and I listen to all these men who are preaching the word, it's, it's true. I mean, they're convincing me through the general revelation that you're God. They're convincing me through my problems with life that you're God. They're convincing me th even through a topic like fasting that you're God. You must be God. Right? Humble yourself before this God whom you're hearing week after week. 
Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Turn at the word in the preaching of the word. Cry out, call upon his name, and fasting and supplications if need be. Drop everything and plead with the Lord. What must I do to be saved, Lord God? Have mercy upon me. I hear with my ear that you are merciful, kind, gracious, and you're slow to anger, but abundant in mercy, Lord. And I hear that you sent your son into the world, that, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Are you really that way? Is that your character? Because, oh, how my soul needs hope. Oh, how I want to believe that with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Will you be merciful to me, God, and save me? Lord, salvation is of the Lord. But you... If you're outside of Christ, you need to humble yourself and call upon his name. And whosoever does will be saved. Based upon the testimony of his word. But the key is humility. And you remember I told you that's what fast, the epitome of fasting is a broken and a contrite heart before the Lord. Because whosoever comes to the Lord with a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise God will not turn away. God will not reject. Because that's what it means to come to him in faith. All right? So I'm going to give you a couple examples, and then we'll kind of close this out. And guys, I'm going to have to close it out because I, we, we, you know, we, it's been a long day, right? <laughs> a good day. Good day. I don't say that to... And so there's huge chunks of this sermon that I'm just going to have to leave out. Okay, so if you have questions, um, fast about them. <laughs> no, you can come and ask Doug. And if he doesn't answer you, Philip, Pastor Phil. Phil will have the answers. All right, um, so let's turn to Jonah. And you guys are familiar with this, but I love this story. Not just the story of Jonah, but because Jonah, Jonah was sort of a knucklehead prophet, right? He, he allowed himself to get all twisted up in his heart. He became prejudiced. And that's, that's not a, that's, that's, we, we all have to face this, guys. You know, I'm facing this with the immigration thing and people coming in here into our America. And I'm like, Lord, okay, I, on the one hand, I want to love them and I want to, but on the other hand, they're mean, and some of them are trying to kill us and blow us up, right? So let's relate. Let's not, let's not act like this is not a part of our world. This is happening to us. You should be able to feel with Jonah, right? I don't like those Assyrians. They hurt my people and, and pillaged us and raped my cousins, and, and some of my people are dead because of them. Why should I let them in, right? You understand? But behold the character of God. Or more specifically, behold Jesus under the old covenant. How's that? Because as, as the Father is, so is who? Jesus, right? And we want to follow who, brothers and sisters? Jesus and God, right? So in Jonah, God tries to get Jonah to go preach to the Ninevites and Jonah has a problem with that, and then Jonah finally capitulates after God showed mercy on him 
again, by the way, after he humbled himself and God relented of the disaster in his personal life, right? Spit him up out on the thing, and Jonah said, okay, I'll go. Prior to that, he was asking Lord to kill him. Prior to that, he was asking, Lord, take my life, just get it over with now, because I don't want to change. I don't want to have to deal with this aspect of my heart. I'm okay with hating the Assyrians. You guys understand? So, in verse 1 of 3, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, the second go-around, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, about three days' journey in extent. So Jonah preaches, let's drop down to verse uh, 7, and let's get their reaction. Or verse 5, I'm sorry. So the people of Nineveh, what? You guys, we, you can't do uh, silly putty with the word of God and start stretching it and making it say things that it's not saying. These people believe the word of God. That means they heard Jonah, contemplated his message, and says, you know what? We believe that. And what's the evidence that they believed it? Believed it. They repented. They understand. He says, so the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a what? Fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king, then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh. Let's drop down to verse 10 just for the reaction, we're running out of time. Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Now, some of you might say, well, yeah, but, you know, that's not salvation, you know, Ernie, that's, that's just God delivering a nation like he said he would, but God didn't save anybody there. Nonsense, okay? I'm not saying that God saved everybody in Nineveh, okay? But do you actually think the Lord of glory the God who is, would just save people physically and not spiritually. You guys know what I'm talking about? What's that? Well, God, you, you love people on this life. You love them in their circumstances and everything. But at the end of the day, they're all going to be damned in hell and burn forever. What is the point of this then? And God showing us his character. You guys know what I'm talking about? What is that? That's, what kind of God is that? The Bible's consistent with the character of God over and over and over and over and over again. I, the Lord, take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I pled with Israel that they would turn. I'm pleading with the Gentiles here. This is the character of God, brothers and sisters, and we need to preach this and proclaim it without, with, without apology. Do you understand? This is what our society needs. They need to know that their creator is this way. You guys with me? So the people relented, or, or the people repented, and God relented, and God had mercy upon these people. And Jonah was angry. But the point is, God had mercy upon him. One other passage, there's two others, but to close out, turn to 1 Kings 21. And you guys, I'm doing this because I'm what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to cover Bible. Just to show you that, it's all 
you know, it's from here all the way, Deuteronomy, you can go through all of it, all the way to the farthest uh, um, prophet, if you want. It's all in there. The same character. God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, right? And we got to deal with that, okay? First Kings, this is a wicked man, one of the most wicked kings in Israel. And who is that? Many of you might say Manasseh. He was one of them, but this is another one. This is Ahab. Ahab, verse uh, 25 through 29. You guys, uh, 1 Kings 21, I'm sorry. 1 Kings 21, 25 through 29. I got five minutes here, brothers and sisters. All right, I think. So uh, here, here, here's a little bit of the background here. You guys know who Ahab was married to, right? Jezebel. She was really wicked, right? I mean, God said to her that the dogs, when she dies, there'll be no bury for her. Meaning her burial's gonna, no burial. Meaning the end of her life's gonna lack dignity. People are not gonna care for her, mourn for her, have a ceremony for her. Instead, it's gonna be gruesome. Dogs are gonna lick her up. And, and it's gonna be ugly. And the birds are gonna come out of the air and just pick her flesh and eat it. The Bible says that because of her wickedness, okay? This is her husband. Look at verse uh, 25. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. And when it says no one uh, like this, it means before his time. Manasseh actually outdid him, but Manasseh came later, okay? So I just want to throw that in there. Verse 26, and he behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So it was when Ahab heard those words that he tore his, that's the words of the prophet. I think it was Elijah that came to him. I just couldn't read it because of time. Okay, when the words of the prophet Elijah had came to Ahab, he tore his clothes, right? So it was, he heard the, the words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. Now, God, God better not have mercy on this cat, right? First of all, I think he was unsaved, Right? Second of all, he was wicked, Hitler-type wickedness. You know what I'm talking about? You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay. Listen to what God does. And again, behold the character of God with the wicked man. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself, not I humbled him, because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring this calamity in his days, but in the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. Wow. This man took to heart fasting and prayer because God said so. Ahab knew. He was an Israelite. He was a Jewish boy. He was raised. He had, good, he had good heritage in his background. He knew. And when he got desperate, he, he humbled himself and cried out to God. And God did what? Showed him mercy. 
Not unto salvation. This text doesn't say that. But God showed him mercy. I just want to highlight before you, all of you, the character of God and why and how you should use fasting in your life as a broken, as a, as a, as a response to a broken and contrite heart before God. You understand? He has ordained it. He has set it up this way. Use it. And beware, beware of using fastings like the hypocrites do and the Pharisees, right? They fast to check off their boxes. They fast to just fit in religious society so they can be seen and feel good around men, but they have no regard to who? God and his ways. They don't have the heart of God. They don't want the ways of God. And God says, humble yourself before me. Humble yourself even in fasting and sackcloth, or I'm sorry, we don't use sackcloth, but fastings, right? And prayers and supplications. And who knows what the Lord might do? Who knows what, what, what the Lord might do? And I hear, you know what? I don't know what he's going to do, but I hear about his character. He's merciful. He's kind. He's gracious. And he's slow to get angry. I suggest you, you follow him. I suggest you hang your life on his word and trust him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are God. We thank you that you so love the world, that you have made provision that all men, women, boys, and girls might be able to be reconciled to you. And now we pray, oh God, that you would take your word and seal it to the hearts of all who hear it today. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.